We're going to be in 2 Samuel chapter 6 this morning. We'll continue in 2 Samuel chapter 6. It's been said many, many times over the centuries. If at first you don't succeed, try, try again. Like David's intentions during his first attempt in moving the ark of God to Jerusalem, the essence of that saying is well-meaning. However, if David failed to learn from his costly error in trying to move the ark the first time, trying again would have been fatal counsel at best. He had to learn from that mistake. Like David, we've all made wrong decisions in life, have we not? You don't get to live as long as we've lived in this room without having to look back and go, man, I would love to have that one back. Or boy, that didn't work out. That was a really poor decision. We've all been there. The key, though, is learning from them so that we do not repeat them. If you're repeating and making the same mistakes, you continue to make bad decision after bad decision, that means that you're not learning, which is why you keep returning to that. Proverbs 26, 11 tells us, as a dog returneth to his vomit, so a fool returneth to his folly. Uh, someone who follows up one bad decision with another bad decision, or maybe even worse than that, is like a dog who just keeps returning to his vomit. It's deplorable. And in doing so, they're proving that they're not learning. We just keep signing up for the same thing over and over and over again. Last week, we talked about making right decisions. Today, we want to talk about learning from making wrong decisions. How do we learn from that? Please, this is important. God can redeem a bad decision if we are willing to embrace the learning lessons in it. That's what we need to see this morning. God can redeem a bad decision if you are willing to learn from it. He can. I've seen it in my life a time or two. I know this. So here we are in verse 10 of 2 Samuel chapter 6. So David would not remove the ark of the Lord unto him, into the city of David. But David carried it aside into the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite. So wisely, David did not immediately try to move the ark again after failing to properly move it the first time. That was a very wise decision. He did move it to the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite. We're going to talk more about that in just a moment. But David did not stubbornly try and press forward. That's important, because this is what we do, right? We make a bad decision, and then we, we, we rush into how do we fix this, and then how do we make this right, or whatever it might be, and we just keep moving ahead. He needed to do something that I believe is not only wise, but extremely critical after you've made a bad decision, after you've made a wrong decision, after uh, this thing that you were trying to do, it derailed. Here it is. Stop and listen. Stop 
and listen. Stop and listen. What leads to following up a bad decision with another bad decision is not stopping to get still before God and listen. And listen. What many people do is is just, they essentially pour gasoline on a burning fire. This thing is smoking. I mean, you have derailed, you've made a mess, but you're still just trying to fix it. You're still trying to work it out, and all you're doing is just adding more gas to this thing that is lit, whether it be a financially suffocating decision that you made or dysfunctional relationships. Uh, The theme for many, in a word, the, the, the theme of their life is crisis. They're just constantly in a crisis. They're always in crisis mode. Why? Because they will not stop and listen. Israel made a foolish decision to not take God at His word and go in and possess the land in the book of Numbers. And when they realized it, they tried to do what people do all the time. What we're talking about right now is, okay, we'll go and take care of this. We'll go and make it right. And we pick it up in Deuteronomy chapter 1, beginning in verse 41. Moses said, Then ye answered and said unto me, We have sinned against the Lord. Yes, you have. Now watch this. We will go up and fight. According to all that the Lord our God commanded us, and when ye had girded on every man his weapons of war, ye were ready to go up into the hill. And the Lord said unto me, Say unto them, Go not up, neither fight. For I am not among you, lest you be smitten before your enemies. So I spake unto you, and ye would not hear. But rebelled against the commandment of the Lord, and went presumptuously up into the hill. And the Amorites, which dwelt in that mountain, came out against you and chased you as bees do, and destroyed you in Seir, even unto Hormah. And ye returned and wept before the Lord, but the Lord would not hearken to your voice, nor give ear unto you. The account of that is found in Numbers chapter 14. But after choosing not to take God at his word, Israel chose to forge ahead, attempting to correct that, and that led to getting destroyed. And then at this point, 38 years of wandering in the desert. So we just, we just compound a bad decision with another bad decision. Why did that happen? Verse 43 of Deuteronomy 1 tells us, And ye would not hear. They refused to stop and listen. I beg you to hear this. Silence is a critical discipline 
that we all must learn. It is a discipline that we all must learn. And I'm afraid it's one that we subtly despise. Our culture is very loud. From the moment we wake up, it's, it's just noise. And, and this, this chaotic pace and everything is just moving. And who has time to stop and listen? I've got to figure this out. I've got to work this out. I've got to deal with that. I've got to get that straightened out. I've got to, all of that. And, and God, I don't have time to stop and listen. Habakkuk 2 verse 20 tells us, but the Lord is in His holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before Him. Contextually here, uh, the Lord is not like dead idols. He is the living and true God who reigns in His holy temple, Isaiah 6.1. And the message here is that we should be so awestruck by Him so moved by who He is and how awesome He is and how great that He is that we are compelled to stop and listen and focus on Him. We're compelled to silence. We should be fixated on Him, desiring to hear what He would say to us. One of the problems that we have in our relationship with God, and, and this translates into our relationships with one another, including our marriages, is we are far more interested in being heard than we are listening. We want to be heard. We want to make sure that people know what we think. We want to make sure God knows what we think. We and I, again, I, I, I am not discouraging prayer whatsoever, but I will tell you this. If you want to have a healthy prayer life, you better stop and listen first. Because when you stop and listen to what God has to say to you, then you know what to say to Him. But this is the problem, because some have, have not learned, listen, to simply, and I, I, wish, I wish I was exaggerating, I wish I was off, but I am not. I've dealt with people enough over the years to learn that there are a number of people at this age and stage of life who have not learned, these are people who go to church every Sunday and all of that, but they have not learned how to sit regularly and sit quietly with the Lord, with an open Bible, and listen to Him. They have not learned to do this. From the moment they wake up, it's chaos. It's, oh, there's this, and, 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 and i got to text this, and, 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 and i got to go here, and, and, and i got to do that, and... and and, and it just, and they can't figure out why it's not working. They can't figure out why there is no peace, why there is no clarity. Why is it that I just, I, I'm always in a crisis. There's always a fire I got to put out. There's always a problem. And, and God is saying, just at some point, <laughs> at some point, you're going to realize Colossians 1.18 that in all things, 
I might have what? The preeminence, I'm first. Not your checklist. Not your to-do list. Not your errands. Not your busyness. Me. As a matter of fact, if you stop and listen to me, you'll be so much better prepared to deal with that list. But because you're not stopping and listening, that list is dealing with you. And when we learn to stop and listen, when we learn and we embrace the discipline of silence and we, and we treasure just sitting with the Lord and hearing His voice, here's where that leads. Go back to verse 10. But David carried his side into the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite. Verse 11, And the ark of the Lord continued in the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite, three months. And the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and all his household. And it was told King David, saying, The Lord hath blessed the house of Obed-Edom and all that pertaineth unto him because of the ark of God. So David went and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom into the city of David with gladness. Now, according to 1 Chronicles chapter 26, we understand that Obed-Edom would have been a Kohathite Levite. We see that there. As we saw from Numbers 4.15, God gave the Kohathite Levites the responsibility of transporting the ark of God. Now, regarding the phrase, Obed-Edom the Gittite, some have extracted from that that Obed-Edom was a Gentile because Gittites were natives of the Philistine city of Gath. That's doubtful at best after God judged the Philistines for being in possession of the ark. And then when you consider what happened with Uzzah right before this, who touched it and died immediately, it's doubtful at best that the ark would have been moved into the house of a Gentile. I just can't see that. Or someone who was not a Levite. Not to mention, in 1 Chronicles 15, Obed-Edom was later appointed to be a doorkeeper in the temple at Jerusalem. We see that very clearly. Now, he might be referred to as a Gittite because he was born in the Levitical city of gath Rimmon, or potentially he could have lived in the Philistine city of Gath at one point, just like David did, as we see in the book of 1 Samuel. But while the ark remained in his home, David learned something. See, that's what happens when you stop and listen. You learn. Look at verse 12. And it was told King David saying, The Lord hath blessed the house of Obed-Edom and all that pertaineth unto him because of the ark of God. If we are going to learn from wrong decisions, we'll not only stop and listen, but we'll stop and learn. We'll also stop and learn. God's going to tell us some things when we stop and listen. God's going to teach us some things when we do that. Listen, I I can't say this clearly enough. The, The faster you're moving and the more you're moving, 
the more likely it is that you can't hear God. Even if you are immersed in the work of the ministry, where you are just stretched so thin, you have no free time, you are just going from this to that to this to that to this to that, and you can spend countless hours studying the Bible, all of that, and still not hear God, and still not learn. When David attempted to move the ark, the first time, a man died. But the second time <laughs> uh, that, that he went to, to move it, as he was getting ready to do that, he learned something. When the ark remained in the house of Obed-Edom, a man's family was blessed. So when David tried to do his thing, somebody died. Now the ark goes to the home of Obed-Edom, and a family is blessed. Brothers, we're going to be talking about winning at home here in a few weeks on June the 9th. You want to win at home? One of the things that you will absolutely do is prioritize the presence of God in your home. You want to make sure the presence of God is felt in your home. And your home will be blessed. But one of the things that David learned, and this is so important, David learned what works for God and what doesn't work for God. Having said that, we must learn what works and what does not work for God. What David did in his first attempt, God says, that doesn't work for me. That does not work for me. <laughs> In 2017, I began reading devotionally in my quiet time the Old Testament book of Nehemiah. When I got to the end of that first chapter, the end of Nehemiah's prayer, the Holy Spirit of God arrested my heart and arrested my mind over six words from Nehemiah 1, verse 11. For I was the king's cupbearer. I knew that God wanted me to meditate on that. God wanted me to seek him in prayer about that, to glean everything that he wanted me to glean from that. So I did and understood. Like this is, that was a very big position. It was a very prominent position. I mean, as the king's cupbearer, Nehemiah would have had access to the king, unlike most people, which that was no light thing back during that time. And he would have been a confidant. He would have been a comfort to the king. He, I mean, all of that. He would have been the financial guy, the CFO of the nation. He would have wore the signet ring and all of that. And I'm saying, well, this is, this is interesting and this is cool and all good things, but I still don't really understand, Lord, why you are, why do you want me to think on this? And I, what am I missing? I feel like I kind of exhausted what I've learned so far. But, and then two weeks later, Sam asked me to breakfast. And I went to breakfast with Sam, and that's when Sam said, hey, we're ready to bring you on staff full time. And immediately, I knew. 
That's why. That's why God had pressed me about being the king's cupbearer. He wanted me to come on staff under Sam with the heart attitude of a cupbearer, a Nehemiah. See, I had a stint before in full-time ministry as an associate pastor where I didn't have this heart attitude. I didn't have the heart attitude of a Nehemiah. I wasn't a cupbearer. I disagreed with the pastor I was under, and I let it be known. I wasn't silent about it. I came to despise him in my heart. I talked bad about him to other people. I viewed myself as being superior to him because I could go to the Word of God and show you where I was right and he was wrong. And in my mind, that gave me the right to utterly trash him and disrespect him because, after all, when we're right, we can do that, right? So here's what God did. He took 2010 to that day sitting at breakfast with Sam Miles in 2017 to teach me what works for him and what doesn't. God says, I am going to teach you this. You will learn this. You're going to stop and listen to me, and you're going to stop and you're going to learn some things. You are not who you think you are, and you are not where you think you are. So, from 2010 to 2012 in particular, I call those years the valley of discipline. Because you know what God did during that time? He chastised me. He spanked me. You will not do that again. So, (laughs) when Sam and I sat down, And we had that conversation. God wanted to be clear from the start how this is going to work. And we will not have a repeat of what you did the first time because if we have to go there again, it will just be more severe. (laughs) This is why I am ever so careful with how I think about speak to, speak about, and deal with Sam Miles. Very careful. What leads to bad decisions time and time again, listen, is doing what works for us, but it doesn't work for God. This works for me. The problem is it doesn't work for God. God's not okay with it. If you want to make right decisions, let let me give you a prayer to pray. Let me give you a verse to think on. Let me give you a verse to 
hide in your heart that I promise you, God will not only hear, but he'll be pleased to hear. Uh, Psalm 25, verse 4, Show me thy ways, O Lord. Teach me thy paths. God, I'm interested in your ways, not mine. I I, want to go in a direction that you want me to go, not the direction I want to go in. God, I, I want to be all about what works for you, not what works for me. Because listen, if you think it's working for you, but it's not working for God, listen very carefully, it's not working for you. It's not working for you. Listen, your stubbornness is a declaration of war against God, and you can't win. You cannot win. He will break you. He will break you. When you look at the rest of the story in First, in First Chronicles 15, David learned what works for God. In this second attempt to move it, look at First Chronicles 15 too. Then David said, none ought to carry the ark of God but the Levites. For them hath the Lord chosen to carry the ark of God and to minister unto him forever. Verse 4. And David assembled the children of Aaron and the Levites of the sons of Kohath. Ariel, the chief, and his brethren, and 120. Verse 13. For because ye did it not at the first... The Lord our God made a breach upon us for that he sought him not after the due order. We didn't do it right the first time. We didn't do it God's way the first time. Verse 15. And the children of the Levites bear the ark of God upon their shoulders with the staves thereon as Moses commanded according to the word of the Lord. Do you think David stopped and listened? Do you think he stopped and learned? Yes, he did. Yes, he did. He absolutely did. And the outcome was completely different. The outcome was what worked for God. (laughs) Please, listen, I, I know, I don't know all of you as intimately as the Lord does, but I do know this. There isn't a person in this room or someone viewing or someone listening who doesn't want to be blessed, doesn't want to have peace, doesn't want to have joy, doesn't want to be happy, doesn't want to be satisfied in life. All of you desire that. I desire that. Here's what God has taught me. I am most satisfied in life when God is being glorified in my life. You want satisfaction, you want joy, you want peace, you want happiness, you want contentment, you want all those things, I tell you what, glorify God. (laughs) Because if God is being glorified, you're going to be good. You're going to be really good. You talk about having a, a marriage that you can't wait to come home, like, I just, like, and, and listen, my wife will tell you I am not 
I am not batting a thousand. I am not. I never have, never will. But the other day we, we were sitting together at home and I got up to go in the kitchen and I said, you know, I just want you to know, I just, I just love being home with you. I just love being home with you. Like, my, my wife is just sweet. She's, she's easy to dwell with. She's content. She's, there's, she doesn't do the roller coaster thing where she's all over the place, where five minutes she's okay, and then five seconds later, because I left a cup in the bedroom, she blows it. She's a sweet woman. Like, she's wonderful just to be with. And, and I, I, I love being home. I love being with my wife. I, I love, I don't know, man, we had lunch yesterday, and we just talked and laughed and hung out. We just, I, I tell you what, man, you, you just make a point to make sure the Lord's first in your home, and everything's going to be good. And let's look at the fruit of learning from our wrong decisions. One of the things that happens, you ready, is gladness. Gladness. Verse 12, so David went and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom into the city of David with, say it with me, gladness. Gladness. Listen. Uh, gladness was not an adjective that you would associate with the first attempt and move in the ark, right? No, there was no gladness. No. See, hear this. Gladness comes from doing things God's way. Gladness doesn't come from doing things your way. Gladness comes from doing things God's way. Psalm 51, verse 8. Make me to hear joy and gladness that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. Uh, Committing adultery and having a woman's husband murdered was not God's way. There was no joy and gladness in that. (laughs) Understand, your way won't produce joy and gladness. It only produces regret and bitterness. Next, gravity. Look at verse 13. And it was so that when they that bare the ark of the Lord had gone six paces, he sacrificed oxen and fatlings. In referring to gravity here, we're talking about being serious and honorable in our worship of God. Serious and honorable. The Levites would have borne the ark on their shoulders just as God said so, and when they had gone six paces, they stopped to offer sacrifices to God. Why? Before they got too far, they wanted to make sure that God was good. They were careful. They were grave. They were serious and honorable in this. God, we, <laughs> we, we remember what happened with Uzzah. 
We want to make sure you're good. But gravity is something that God is very serious about. 1 Timothy 3, verse 4, One that ruleth well his own house, having his children in subjection with all gravity. A qualification to hold the very esteemed office of the pastorate is that a man's children must be grave. They must be serious and honorable in their worship of God. We just installed deacons recently, praise the Lord, and congratulations to those of you who were installed, but would you consider this deacons and wives of deacons? 1 Timothy 3, verse 8, likewise, must the deacons be grave. Not double-tongued, not given to much wine, not greedy of filthy lucre. Verse 11, even so must their wives be grave. Deacons and wives of deacons, when it comes to worship, the worship of God, you must be serious and honorable. You don't play with that. God takes it very seriously. God is to be taken seriously. Uh, this is one of the things that God will do when God senses, when God sees that it has become clear to Him that we don't view and take Him seriously. God says, then I'm, I'm going to have to deal with you. We need an attitude adjustment. Like, I am not, you don't play with me. <laughs> you do not play with me. Gravity. They were careful. They were serious this time. The first time it was just a jam session and again, great intentions. But they weren't grave. And then finally, glory. Look at verses 14 and 15. And David danced before the Lord with all his might. And David was girded with a linen ephod. So David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of the trumpet. Ephods were worn by the high priest and then eventually by all priests like the ark of God. It was a type of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, the priests would wear it and they had these stones that had all the names of the 12 tribes of Israel. And it represented the nation of Israel being on their heart, just like it's on the heart of Christ. So David wore an ephod, but according to 1 Chronicles 15, 27, he was also clothed in his kingly robe. And what we have here is a picture of David fulfilling the offices of both king and priest, just like the Lord Jesus Christ. But verse 15 is a refreshing contrast to verses 8 and 9. It absolutely is. Verse 8, I mean, here's David displeased with the Lord. Verse 9, he's afraid of him. Here, he's dancing before the Lord with all his might, and the nation follows suit with shouting. What a contrast. David was now glorifying God. But I want to call your attention back to what the Word of God made very, very clear. 
David danced before the Lord with all his might, and the house of Israel followed with shouting. Would you consider these verses for just a moment? Psalm 47, verse 1, O clap your hands, all you people, shout unto God with the voice of triumph. Psalm 59, 16, but I will sing of thy power, yea, I will sing aloud of thy mercy in the morning, for thou hast been my defense and refuge in the day of my trouble. Psalm 103, verse 1, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Psalm 138, verse 1, I will praise thee with my whole heart. Before the gods will I sing praise unto thee. Words like clap, shout, aloud, all, whole. Do not paint a picture of lackluster worship. They don't. One of the things that plagues King James churches, like this one, is that people can teach and they can get the doctrine of worship without getting the heart of it. So I can tell you what the Bible says about worship. I can, I, I, I can teach you about the first mention of worship and, and what that means and what that's a picture of. And, and I, I can show you all that with my head. But when it comes to my actual application of worship, I am very dry and professional. Uh, God forbid that I would be perceived as charismatic in my worship. Or, or, or that if, if I get too excited that that, that that polished exterior that I work so hard on, that, that maybe people won't look at me the same because of how much of a fool I seem to be making myself in corporate worship. The Baptists don't dance anyway. And we don't shout. Here's the problem. Please. Please. Be careful. God is not blind. He is not blind. Because he does. He sees that dry, professional, static, stiff, stale, lackluster approach that we bring to worship where we're murmuring about the song selection. I don't like that. I don't like that. And we're just checked out thinking about what we're going to do for lunch. And, and we're just going through the motions. But when Patrick Mahomes ran 27 yards on a bum leg, you were dancing, weren't you? When Harrison Bucker kicked that field goal to win the game, you were shouting, weren't you? 
When Garth Brooks walks out on stage at that concert, you, you gave it up, didn't you? No, you weren't lackluster. You weren't dry. You weren't professional. You weren't static and you weren't stale. You were dancing. You were shouting. And then you walk in here and God says, wow. Wow. As we're going to see, one of David's wives had a problem with his unabashed and passionate worship. And what we're also going to see very clearly is that her approach did not work for God and God let her know it. Here's what we must understand as I close. God is grieved, not glorified through half-hearted worship. He's not okay with it. He's offended. He's insulted. You know why? Because half-hearted worship makes a statement to him regarding who he is and what he is worth to you. See, that's what worship always does. Worship always reveals what God is worth to you. That shows up in your giving. That shows up in how you give your life to Him. That shows up in your worship. It never lies. And the biggest proof that we have learned from our bad decisions is that we are no longer grieving the Spirit of God and are now glorifying Him. That's how you know that you, in fact, have learned from your bad decisions is that you're not grieving the Spirit anymore. You're glorifying God. Lord, thank You for Your Word. Help us to hide it in our hearts. Help us, as we move forward, to embrace this thing of stopping and listening and stopping and learning. And when we do, God, for your glory, we will reap the fruit of that as we have seen. In Jesus' name, amen.